Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. We're really excited about that. We get a ton of Ag PhD mailbag questions. Our phone lines are open. You can call at any point throughout the show today if you have an agronomic question or want to talk about how things are going on your farm. Our phone line is 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, so I am Brian Hefty, joined by my brother Darren today, and it is Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. Uh, We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, we've been talking a lot about these cupped beans out there, and people are saying, oh, they're cupped because of stress. Well, look, I've seen a few that are cupped because of stress, especially salt. We talked about that a lot last month, but right now, it's a lot of dicamba volatility that I've seen. So, and a lot of that cupping is showing up two to three weeks after the dicamba had been sprayed in the area. So what does that tell you? That means that the amount of damage is really, really insignificant. And in fact, I I shouldn't even use the word damage because yields might be increased. We've seen that a lot with dicamba volatility. Now, dicamba drift, that's a little different story. If it's physical drift where when somebody's spraying dicamba and it blows right on your sensitive crop, your sensitive soybeans, well, yes, then chances are the beans are going to get shortened by a lot. The yield's going to get hurt, and I get that. But the volatility, haven't really seen a lot of issue. Anyway, hopefully um, you get good weather after that cupping shows up and everything's going to turn out fine. I wouldn't get real panicked. We've got a whole bunch of beans that are cupped too. I'm not worried at all. Haven't lost a minute of sleep over it. Our yields are still going to be just fine. There's no problem. So I know it looks bad and it's really hard when things look bad, but I also want you to think too, what was the alternative? You, you could have raised, instead of enlist beans, you could have raised conventional beans, your beans would still be cupped, and then how are you going to kill the weeds? Cobra, uh, Cadet, Resource, a lot of products that offer leaf burn in addition to, oh boy, my beans are cupped because of some dicamba injury. So I'm just trying to say here, um, it's not as bad as it looks Don't get too panicked by it. We've seen volatility from dicamba for years and years and years. It's just this is a bad year because of the early heat that we had, especially in the upper Midwest. We aren't used to 95-degree temps in early June when everybody's spraying. And, in fact, for some guys it was 100 degrees for several days in a row. So we just saw a little bit more volatility than we usually do. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, this one comes from Tom, and he said, First of all, guys, I enjoyed coming to your Young Farmer Field Day. I learned a lot, had a great meal, everything was free, and it was definitely worth the four-and-a-half-hour trip. Hey, thanks, Tom. We appreciate that. He said, I've got one question for you, though, and it's in regards to the oats that are growing on your farm this year. Have they been chopped yet? Also, what is the process for determining when you are going to either chop or harvest them? Yeah, so we're not planning to chop them at all. We will harvest them, and it's once the grain moisture gets down to where we want it to be, or until it's time for the Ag PhD field day, because where we have oats planted on our farm, that's the Ag PhD field day parking lot and uh, and also field demo area. So we have probably 80, 90 acres of oats there. So we've got a massive parking lot and a big field demo area. So 
it's got to be off before July 29th, let's put it that way. So for most farmers, they're not dealing with a drop-dead date for when they have to be done with oats. But that is our drop-dead date, and we'll get it off there before then. All right, Kurt has a question. He said, I've got a neighbor that has horses and a nice new pasture that has thistles in it. They want me to spray the thistles and other broadleaf weeds for them. I'm wondering, is there a special herbicide on the market that you would choose that would be safe for the horses to to graze through these areas? And or if they want to bale the grass, that it would be safe as well. Uh, So I didn't look this up, but what I would do is I would use Duracore. That's the, it's got some basically 2,4-D replacement product in there that's going to kill a lot of the annual weeds that are out in that pasture. And then it's also got Milestone. And Milestone is the best thing that we've ever seen on thistles. It'll kill thistles long term. It'll kill the perennials. It's great. So Duracore would be our choice. But like like I was saying, I didn't look up what the grazing restriction is yeah, for you horses. You can always just do a free lex or something like that, and you're not going to kill the roots out on those thistles, but you'd at yeah, least but what's burn the gra- them down. Yeah, but what's the grazing re- restriction on that? It's pretty slow. It's not very big. The, the one thing Here's one thing that I would suggest, and I don't know how big this <laughs> well, pasture is, but if you could separate that pasture into a couple of different sections, you can spray one section out, keep the horses on the other side for the required time. Maybe it's a week or two between spraying herbicides and, and putting them back out there. And then you can go put them in that side and spray the other side out. I think it's a good idea anyway when we, we look at rotational grazing for the health of the pasture long term to do that. But, you know, this might be three horses in a very small area and you just don't have that option either. But that takes away a lot of the worry in the whole thing. Uh, the other thing when we, we look at this, uh, the thistles are going to be a lot different than the other broadleaf weeds. I'm guessing anyway that the broadleaf weeds are most likely annual weeds where those thistles have a deep perennial root system, very likely with rhizomes running underneath the soil. To kill that permanently, we'd need something like the milestone, like Brian was talking about with Duracore, where you've got some milestone and you've got uh, that 2,4-D replacement product. But that'd just be something to think of. And then the other thing would be, do you have trees around? Because you want to be cautious around any trees or bushes or, or any other vegetation out around that pasture. So, you know, a couple other questions just to, to see exactly what you got and what you're dealing with. If you've got some trees really close there, that's where I think something like a Freelex would be a nice option. You're not going to kill the root system off, but you're also not going to kill the vegetation that's around the outside of that pasture, which which may be a big concern for you too. Okay, so anyway, grazing, three days. And if you wanted to hay, it's 12 days with Duracore. But that would be the product I'd use, like Darren said, unless there were trees around and you have to be careful with that, then I'd probably use Freelex. All right, thanks for the question, Kurt. Really appreciate that and, and appreciate you being a good neighbor too and helping somebody out that maybe doesn't have a sprayer and, and you do. That's a good way to work together and good for building a long-term relationship. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. 
In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Hey, back to that question that we just had a little bit ago. I had a chance to look up on some of these labels. Milestone, by the way, no grazing or haying restrictions. So that probably would be the product I would go with if all we were after was those thistles. Talking about this pasture question we had for pastures and thistles, but... Anyway, just take a look at grazing and haying restrictions. If you have questions, obviously, on grazing and haying, there are a lot of good choices out there for weed control and pastures. All right, let's head to the phone lines here. We've got Jeff with us up in North Dakota where everything is great, where they're getting lots of rain. They have beautiful-looking crops. Uh, Jeff, is that accurate for your farm? Uh, yeah, it looks pretty good. Uh, we just got an inch of rain last night, so... Uh... Our fall crops are looking good. Our corn, our beans, and our sunflowers. Um, it's going to make our small grains fill with what we have uh, that formed. We were dry, you know, up until about the middle of June. So we were uh, pretty dry. Emergence was pretty erratic on a lot of crops, but things have started to uh, straighten out now. So, um, yeah, I look for our fall crops to be pretty good if we can keep the rain up like this. Outstanding. Yeah, I've seen some pictures of crop just from this week up in your area, and it looks like you got a lot of hope, which is great when you have decent prices and an, an actual shot to have a crop. And I know some guys, the wheat didn't turn out very well at all, but but uh, like you say, with some of these other crops that are out there, that's that's a good sign. What are you seeing out in the fields right now? Are you, are you doing anything out there? Are you going out with some mid-season applications here, or you got it pretty well wrapped up? Um, we're, we've been doing a lot of, uh, foliar cure on our wheat, um, just because of the little bit of rain we've had, uh, with the thinner stand, um, we have good airflow, but we've also been throwing in, uh, some bug juice in there just cause hoppers are starting to show up. Um, looks like next week we're going to start our, uh, try to get our second goal around of, um, roundup application done on our beans. Um, and we're going to throw a little bit of 
bug juice in on borders and stuff just to kind of keep them from coming into the field too far. But uh, we've got a couple of bean fields already that are pretty well canopied up. So we're going to, we were hoping to hit them maybe starting tomorrow, but with the rain, we're going to kind of wait until next week and let the ground dry up and not try to rut it up as much as we would if we were to go out there right away. How about in the sunflower fields? Is there a fungicide application, insecticide application coming up there? Uh, we're uh, just right now we've got the plane, uh, our local aerial applicator. He's going to do uh, some borders for us. We're going to do some uh, one field. We've got hoppers moving in on it pretty bad, I guess. And uh, so we're going to do a couple of passes uh, along the gravel roads and then do, so do the ditch on the gravel road and then make another pass in the field. And then we got one where it borders up to a wheat field. So we're going to go split the wheat field, split the plane in half, do some on the wheat and then some on the sunflowers and try to try to mitigate them from getting in too far. And if we have to, we'll have to come in later on and do a full application later on if, if need be. I love the strategy. I like the border treatments. I know for our farm, we've been pretty successful more times, probably 80% of the time successful with the border treatments. And if we can save those passes where we got to spray the whole field, that, uh, that keeps a lot more money in our pockets. And, and also the crop never got fed in, fed on. So that's a good thing. How about you? Do you feel like you're more times than not successful with these border treatments? Um, usually when we do the border treatments, if we get it early enough, um, we're about 95% successful. Um, we've actually held off on a couple of treatments um, the last couple of days because of the way the weather had been. They were talking, they were talking this rain last night that we did get. Um, they were talking rain earlier in the day. So yesterday kind of was a bust day for everyone spraying because nobody was going out doing the insecticide with anything with insecticide work because you know as soon as you spray it, it just sticks on the plant and once it rains, it's off the plant. So a lot of guys were waiting and not pulling the trigger yesterday and uh so the plane's a little backed up i got backed up we just ended up giving the rest of our uh, fungicide application of our wheat to the plane just because it's too wet now to try to get out there and get it done on a timely matter yep yeah it's uh it's nice to have other alternatives like aerial applicators that that you can work with along the way and i know in in your part of the world that's a, a really big deal with all the different types of crops that you're raising there talking with jeff up in northern north dakota jeff thank you so much really appreciate having you on hopefully the rains keep coming timely like they have been that'd be fantastic okay thank you have a good day you too yeah, there are so many questions that we're getting in right now. Many of them are about the Ag PhD Field Day, and Joan sent one in. She said, plan on coming to the Ag PhD Field Day, but what are the start times, end times, and times for various activities during the day? Will there be uh, an event schedule posted somewhere that we can check out? Hey, thanks, Joan. Really appreciate the question. And, and it's always good to plan ahead and make sure you don't miss anything that you want to miss because there are some things that happen only once during the field day. We start at 7 a.m., so... We get a good jump on things early. We encourage folks to try and get there early. A lot of times in the middle of the summer, you want to be there early anyway just to beat the heat. But we don't get that hot normally here, and it's just so pleasant in the mornings. We like to try and maximize our time. So we start at 7 in the morning. We get down at 4. And, yes, we should have schedule posted at agphd.com. If you just click on our field day links there, you can see all the activities happening throughout the day. Whoa, whoa, we don't have a schedule posted yet. We'll have it. We should have it by hopefully today, otherwise Monday. All right. Thanks, Joan. We appreciate that. Look forward to seeing you here Thursday, July 29th. Let's head down to Tennessee. We've got Tom on with us right now. Want to talk a little sweet corn. Tom, how are you doing? 
Hey, uh, doing good, Darren. Everything going okay up there? You know what? Pretty good. But whenever I see sweet corn pop up on our, our uh, call screen, I want to take that call right away because I love sweet corn. So how how does the crop look down there? Is it looking good? Uh, yeah, it's doing it's doing real good. But you know, I've been I've been getting a lot of uh, questions from uh, customers and things. They 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 want to know, especially in the conventional area when they're when they're putting out like Silver Queen or Ambrosia or you know some of those varieties that aren't Roundup ready. You know, they'll put one to two to the hill, or if they run a planter, they're putting one to the hill, but then when they come back after it's up, they've got multiple shoots coming up. And they're like, what's going on here? Why do I have all these suckers coming off the sides? And I'm like, I don't know. It could be a rootworm problem, or it could be a cutworm problem, but I don't really know for sure. I will try to get you an answer. So I'm sure. calling the people that I know might have an answer. There you yep. go. Yep. So, Tom, the uh, tillers or suckers, as you called them. Uh, yeah, we call they're, them suckers yep, in the south. Yep, yep, uh, yep. It's, it's just a natural thing that ends up happening with plants that are planted relatively thin that have good growing conditions. So the plant will end up using those suckers later on in the year when they're trying to fill the ear. So they'll actually cannibalize uh, from those suckers. So it's nothing to get worried about. There's no problem. Uh, it's not going to hurt anything. We see the same thing in field corn as well. And some farmers get all concerned and they go, well, I don't want one that's got all these tillers or suckers on it. And I just say, who cares? At the end of the day, all you care about is yield, right? Yep. Well, sometimes some of those varieties just happen to have a whole bunch of tillers or suckers and sometimes they don't. I, it doesn't okay. make any difference to me. So it, there's no problem, well, nothing to worry about. It's fine. A, a lot of my a lot of my customers were concerned that it would steal nutrients, no. and uh, but you're saying it will pull it back. Yep. So that's good. Yep, yep. So nothing okay. to worry about. Nope, you're fine. Hey, appreciate it, Brian. You bet. I, I knew you guys would have the answer. <laughs> yep, no problem. Thanks for the call, Tom. Hey, no, no problem. Take care. Yep. Yeah, there are a lot of things happening in sweet corn fields, and, and so we always appreciate those questions. Uh, I get this one from Andrew up in northeast North Dakota. He said, I've got corn that's showing that it is, it is low in boron and potassium and soybeans that are low in potassium and molybdenum. We're really dry up in our part of the state. I'm wondering if I could foliar feed. Uh, I've got access to a, a micronutrient product product that has boron molybdenum a good dose of potassium with it i want to spray this at v8 to v10 corn and r2 to r3 soybeans and i'll also add in uh, some nutex eda with it spray 20 gallons of water spray in the mornings all the things i can possibly think of to make it work great i'm just wondering are there any other nutrients i should look at to help the plant in a moisture stress situation and could i add a fungicide with that man that's a lot of stuff there andrew uh, we'll talk about that right after this short break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we'll be right back. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. Taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, but you can also email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Andrew up in Northeast North Dakota did. Just talked about his questions just before the break. He wants to do some foliar feeding at V8 to V10 corn, R2 to R3 soybeans, using some Nutex EDA so he doesn't have to use any of the NPE, APE kind of surfactants so he can avoid any arrested ear development, that type of thing. It's also got a little boron in there. Uh, a little zinc. Yep. Or sorry, zinc. Yes. And spraying 20 gallons per acre of water, trying to get a little more coverage and spraying in the mornings. Just wondering if that would work. He's in a moisture stress situation and also if there's anything else we'd recommend putting in like a fungicide or some other nutrient. Okay. I'll, I'll just say this about foliar feeding. If you're short on potassium, you're short on some different nutrients that are out there, 
foliar feeding's okay. I'm just not a huge fan because the results have been inconsistent. I'd way rather take those dollars and put them down in the soil in the future. Obviously, this year there's nothing you can do, so yeah, I'd probably try a little bit of foliar feeding. But long term for you, spend the money in the soil, and then hopefully you don't have to worry about the foliar feeding so much. Or if you're going to do foliar feeding, you can just do low rates. That's what we do a lot of times. So about 10 days ago or so, we were out over the course of that, you know, within a week there, spraying our corn. So similar to the stage you're talking about, we went out with fungicide. We went out with uh, just a little bit of foliar fertilizer. And I mean, it's, it's fine. I don't have any big problem with that. For us, we also threw in a miticide insecticide, that'd be bifenthrin, so we could kill the mites that were out there and some of the other bugs, and then we tried a couple different uh, biologicals. We're going to be spraying our soybeans not next week, but the following week, and we'll do something very, very similar. So the first thing we're doing is scouting for insects and mites. If we've got any of those, we'll be throwing probably bifenthrin in again because I assume we have mites out there. We've already sprayed all our soybeans for mites once back in June, so they're probably going to show up again as hot and as dry as it's been, but we'll see. And in terms of the foliar feeding, yep, we're throwing a little bit of foliar fertilizer out. Uh Again, we're going to try a different, probably two or three different biologicals and experiment with that a little bit. And we're throwing some fungicide in. Even though we've got pretty dry weather, there are some plant health benefits to fungicides, things like cooling the plant down, providing the plant, or at least the plant ends up with more antioxidants inside it, and it reduces ethylene production. And ethylene production finishes the crop sooner. So you want less ethylene at this point in the year, so the crop gets a little more time to uh, to produce yield. So anyway, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I would suggest you try some. I don't know that I get super carried away. Make sure you're leaving check strips so you can see, is it paying or is it not? All right. Thank you for the question. Really appreciate that. Let's head back to the phone lines. we got Rick with us up in the state of New York. Rick, how are you doing? Okay. All right, what what's happening on your farm right now? Uh, we've had uh, a good year. Uh, I know it's unusual for a farmer to say that, and probably especially me, but uh, things actually do look really good. Um, probably should find a piece of wood to knock on because <laughs> we're a long ways from the finish line. Yes, but, we uh, are. Right now, things look really good. Yeah, we got a little ways to yeah. go. I know what you're saying. It, it's hard to say that it's really good until the crop is fully made, but at least you're at the halfway point here and still doing okay. Yeah, we we had a little bit of a late start. I, I think I started about the 15th or 16th of May uh, because it was just it wasn't that it was so wet. It, it was just cold. And since it was cold, it wouldn't dry, so it, it just took us a while to get started. But then it turned out perfect, and uh, now we're getting rains um, pretty timely. Some people are still on the heavy side, um, but in general, I, I don't think there's anything suffering for water. If there's a Excellent. dark spot, I would say uh, we've got a, a record small grains crop, uh, wheat, rye, triticale. But our our forecast has been bad, and it, and the forecast going forward is terrible. <laughs> with uh, I think there's 11 days out of 14 with forecasted rain. So <clears throat> great crop, but uh, we're going to struggle to get it out of the field before it sprouts. Yep, 
Yep. Oh, yeah. It's this is one of the things I love. I love that you made that comment. I don't love that that's happening to you, but uh, I love that you made that comment. We we do have a lot of farmers who don't raise small grains that are always curious to hear about that a little bit, and then of course non farmers listening too, they're like, "What? What are you talking about? He can have a great crop, but he can't get it out of the field without it spoiling." Yeah, that happens to us sometimes. So that's why Rick didn't want to celebrate having a decent crop just yet. There's a long ways to go in the season. Okay, Rick, I understand. Yeah. Did you want to talk about spray water just a little bit? Was that part of the conversation today you wanted to have? Yeah, um, I'm a thousand acre uh, organic farm and uh, consultants have been telling me that my water's too hard and I'm probably losing quite a bit of efficacy on bio- biologicals and foliars because the hardness of my water, which is 17 grains, um, forget what that converts to in parts per million, but I think the threshold is 12 and I'm at 17, so I could be uh, losing some money uh, by not having things work like they ought to. So reverse osmosis has been one of the uh, mechanisms to get cleaner water and also to take the chlorine out of the water, but it's expensive and it's very inefficient as far as water goes. If I recall, you only get one-third clean water out of uh, what you run through the machine. So um, what's your experience there? Well, I, I'd agree with you. It, it's kind of an expensive way to go. And it's great for your house if you say, well, I'm, I'm just worried about drinking water. No problem. It's not that terrible many gallons. But when you start talking about, hey, I'm going to spray a thousand acres three or four times mm-hmm. during the year with 15 gallons, uh, all of a sudden, you're talking about a lot, a lot of water that you got to treat. And then where does the the two-thirds that you're not going to use, where does that go? And and is that going to be a, a pollution issue or anything else? I mean, there's there's just several questions. I know there's a lot of different water treatment options out there. We've been using uh, a couple different products. We've been using one called Water Right to take the hardness out of the water, and it just ties it up so there's no waste product and you still spray it out. And then we've been using a product called BioPrep that ties that chlorine up and turns it to chloride, which is safe for the microbes. So all of a sudden, you you we, we saw the same thing. We saw microbials uh, just getting killed in, in some of the hard water that we were using for our farm as well. And where we used rural water, that, that was really bad because then we had a bunch of chlorine in there. So that, that's been our solution, but uh, reverse osmosis can work very well too. You're right. It's just a little spendy. So do you know if, if your two products are uh, organically approved? I don't know if they are. I guess I haven't looked for the OMRI certification there. I don't believe so, but you know what? That's something that I can check on and follow back up with you and at least uh, uh, get you some information on that, and, and you can look into it yourself as well. Yeah, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, we can follow up on that. Uh, now, you're up in the Finger Lakes region. Is that right, Rick? Yeah, I'm kind of right in the center part uh, at the north end of Seneca Lake. What is it true what they're saying about Seneca Lake really warming up? Is that or is that just a media story? Uh, that it it's true and it isn't true. Um, they're they're doing uh, Bitcoin mining there, so that in itself is a controversy. But in order to cool the computers, you have to run a millions of gallons a day through it. Um, and they're discharging 
warmed up water back into the lake, which is changing the ecosystem of that area around um, the plant. You know, the entire lake, no, it's 35 miles long and 600 feet deep, so it's not going to affect the whole (laughs) lake, but it will affect um, the stream that it's near, which is a large stream, and um, the immediate ecosystem around that plant. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. You just you hear some of those national stories, and uh, it's always good when you can talk to somebody local to find out. I mean, it's just an. I've been to the Finger Lakes region a number of times. Just a beautiful part of the country. Glad to hear you guys are catching the enough moisture to have a good crop. Hopefully, you get a few days of dry in a row though to get those small grains out. Rick, great talking to you again, and good luck to you. We'll follow up with you on the Omri certification. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head back to those phone lines. Got Robert up in northern South Dakota. Robert, how you doing? Hey, uh, doing pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, what's good. Uh, what's the crop season looking like up in your part of the state? Uh, we've been really dry. Um, we've been through this before, though. I tell people we've been through this. Seems like every four or five years, so we're we're probably a little more used to it. But the wheat crop is uh, going to be very poor, right? 10, 15 bushel averages. Uh, the corn hung in there pretty good. We did get an inch of rain at the beginning of the week. Uh, it's probably I don't know, probably chest high, some of it maybe a little taller. Uh, it's looking really good. The beans look average, and sunflowers look uh, pretty decent overall. So it's. Just hoping to catch a few more timely rains and, and get some decent fall crops. So. I, I know not too terrible far from you. There were some guys that got 9 or 10 inches in one shot yeah. earlier this season. How far away from you was that? Uh, about 40 miles. So that storm that day where our farm sits, we had 40 hundred. If you go anywhere east of us, it didn't rain at all. If you go three miles west, it had an inch 30, and you go another two miles, and there was two plus inches so we were right on the edge of that one but um yeah it actually the river actually got flowing pretty good for a couple days when all that all that water made it <laughs> I, bet, I bet so down the grand river it was flushing trees and everything down into the river so Oof, well i'm glad you didn't get the yeah, 10 inches i know i know we'd yeah, like to have some rain but much. 10 is uh is not a good thing that, that's too much fortunately it fell in an area that that's happened before and the, the land can drain itself pretty well so that part was good but their crops actually look really good over that way so it's, we're not too far from good crops but but yeah so so hopefully we get a couple more timely rains and the, the fall crops will do all right I think. So, awesome but awesome. um the reason i was calling is um i've known you two for for quite a long time now and i uh, had the opportunity to meet you guys a couple times at your at different uh winter events and i guess i just wanted to thank you guys for everything you guys do for promoting agriculture and uh, education both non-farmers and farmers like me um i know i was pretty young when i met you guys the first time and you really um in a non-pushy way you pushed me to question what we were doing on our farm and start trying some new things and um I've kind of got the reputation with my family that I'm the one that likes to try stuff now. And um, we've, we've yep. really, I mean, yep. everything from record keeping to everything has improved uh, in the last 20 years. Uh, we were able to boost our proven yields about 50% from when I got out of college 20 years ago. And I attribute it mostly to you two, um, just your, your TV show and just everything you guys do to educate. Well, everything fertility tissue sampling i mean just just to think about okay what what do i need to improve what's the soil telling me what what are the plants telling me that's wrong and try things and i, I think we just we spent a lot of money trying things but overall it has really paid off and i don't think i would be doing 
hardly any of that stuff that wasn't for the two of you being so influential. So, oh, well, thank I you, really Robert. I want to thank you guys. I know I'm not the only one out there that feels that way. Well, thank but, you. We really, really appreciate that. And kudos to you. Kudos to you for trying it. And I know, like you said, in well, your you. part of the state, it's it's tough. I mean, you get some tough years up there more often than we do, and uh, it's yeah. it's risky to try new things, no doubt about it. But uh, kudos to you for yeah. doing the testing and the record keeping to really check into different things yeah. that might work. Yeah, you know, testing new varieties and different tillage or not tillage. Or you know, we went from my grandpa was all conventional hill and half of it was just summer fallowed with a disc you know and then my dad and uncle took on no-till 30 40 years ago and uh, eventually when the yields got up there it was like you were hitting a wall and you had to figure out what what you know what happened because no-till was working till it didn't and um, we didn't go back to full conventional till but it, it's just a lot of everything it's planting rate fertility balanced fertility cleaner fields um feed treatment, I mean, everything, you know, and some of the stuff we were doing, but it just really, you know, just watching you guys and seeing what was working and what you recommended, uh, it, it just made a huge difference on, on giving some confidence to trying different things and, and having some guidance to what we were doing rather than just spend money to spend money. It was like, okay, here's here's what I'm trying to do because, you know, because of that. Because of that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, no, yeah, I just want to thank you guys. Oh, thank you so much, Robert. Really appreciate it. Really great. Yeah, there's so many little decisions to make. Like you just mentioned, planting population. And, you know, if you're doing some sort of tillage, exactly how deep and exactly when you're going to do it and when you're not going to do it. I mean, there's there's just a lot of nuance to this farming game. So, yeah, glad yeah. glad to hear what you're doing with your yields up there, too. That's awesome, not just for your farm, yeah. but for your whole community. Well, and it makes years like this a lot easier. You know, 20 years ago, and well, 2006 was always our worst. That was probably even worse than 88. And um, and what, why 06 was so bad is because it quit raining in July of 05. <laughs> and um, I think we had three inches in 16 months. And so um, after that, I was like, man, this record-keeping thing, you know, has to get better. And how do you take advantage of the good years? I didn't feel like we were taking advantage of the good years. And so now, finally, after all that work, a year like this, you have much better insurance. And part of it's because the pricing is better, but the yields are much, much better uh, because the good years were, were that good. And, and so it makes it a little easier to weather these years, but it's like 20 years finally paid off to where a bad year isn't going to hurt so much. You know? Yeah, that's that's exactly right, and you get to keep farming yeah. for the next year. Yeah. Well, well Robert, thank you yeah. so much. It, it's really good to hear from yeah. you, and well, uh, you. and really appreciate your very kind words. Oh well, thank you again. So you bet. Take care and enjoy uh, listening to the show when I can. Awesome. Well, thank you, Robert, and stay in touch. We really appreciate it. Let's head over to Minnesota. We've got Brent on with us right now. How about you, Brent? You guys catch any rain this year? You know, not much. Uh, we're we're probably like everybody else, super dry up here. So what do, what do the crops look like? Are you, are you kind of more in the wheat bean country, or do you have corn in the rotation too? No, we're more on the wheat bean side. Um, we don't raise any corn on the farm, but uh, we, we also do some uh, malting barley, and that's that's soon to go here, probably within two weeks. So, um, you know, at that point, then we'll, we'll kind of know where we're sitting on everything. Yeah, yeah. Does that give you a pretty good indication of how everything else is going to be? Pretty much, you know, the barley does like it on the drier side, which 
I'm assuming the barley should be okay. Um, when, when you're driving across the countryside, you know, you, you, a lot of the wheat's kind of choppy here and there. And it all depends on, on where that rain has fallen and, and the way the clouds are moving on, on certain storms. Um, certain fields look better, you know, and, and some of that's with the soil. Lighter soil obviously is more burnt out. But, you know, you got to remain optimistic on what we got and, uh, you know, just trying to keep that plant as green as possible as long as possible. It's one of the reasons I like raising soybeans because you can always be optimistic. There are more flowers that are going to come. And even if it looks terrible right now, you get a couple inches of rain and you can still make some beans. So are the beans kind of hanging on? The, the beans look really good, um, you know, but I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, you can ask other people, uh, you know, it, it uh, I don't know, you, you know, we're going to need a rain here this coming week. Um, we're getting close to putting the insecticide down. Um, we haven't noticed a lot of aphids yet, but we're seeing uh, small grasshoppers popping up, and that that could be a problem down the road, so we're going to try to nip that in the bud before they get going. Sure can. Yeah, I noticed I was out in one of our bean fields today and noticed some flea beetles out there starting to eat some holes in some leaves. There just seems to be a random assortment of a number of different species out there this year. Thankfully, none of them are aphids, but the other ones can be bad too. Yep, and I tell you, if it's if it's not the weather, it's a it's a bug issue. But uh, you know, <laughs> we've had challenges before. And we're going to keep going on, and you know, it, it pays to have a uh, you know a great agronomist or or someone who's out helping you scout other things. You know, uh, family members, whatever. Just keep people keep feet in the field so you see what's going on. Totally agree. And I think it's really good that you stay optimistic. I like talking with you, Brent. I love that you have a positive outlook on things. I do too. I'm always hopeful that, you know what, if we could just get a rain next week, things are going to be better. So hopefully you catch that rain, Brent. We really appreciate hearing from you and good luck. Yep. Thank you very much. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. And we'll be right back after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. 
Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. This one from Seth in South Central Minnesota. He said, I'm not seeing any differences in my starter side-by-side test strips the last couple of years. The strips are a mile long through various soils. And He sent us a map of the soils, by the way, and yep, it's super variable. Anyway, go ahead. All right. Anyway, he said, uh, visually not seeing any differences. Tissue samples not showing any major differences. This is only a second-year tissue sampling, though, and still trying to figure out what all the numbers mean. He said his whole farm yield is around 225, and uh, he's, let's see, I've added my two years of tissue sample data and some soil samples where these samples were pulled. So just kind of curious about what we think about that, Brian. And you kind of went through uh, all those samples, made made a few notes here. Yeah. So basically he's using a, a bunch of different stuff, including a bunch of gypsum, uh, some nitrogen, a little bit of zinc, sulfur. Uh, so a number of different products in his full program, by the way. I, I would say this, when you continue to run tests and you're testing the same thing year after year, like you said, uh, two years worth of side-by-sides where you've been doing your, uh, let's see, did it say infra or two-by-two? Two? Anyway, starter, his starter, then that tells me that the odds are pretty high that that's not your yield-limiting factor. The other thing is when we say starter, a lot of times people will go in furrow. And when you go in furrow, we have to be really super careful about salt. So granted, in the last couple of years in the spring, it was wet. Well, this spring it was dry. And so we saw salt damage way more than we normally do this spring. So that's just one of the things we kind of have to always be careful of. Anyway, he's got, like I said earlier, really variable soil. Listen to this. Organic matter as low as 4.6%, which for a lot of us, we think, oh, that's super high. Here's his high figure, 19.6%. 
<laughs> That's what we would call a peat soil. Uh, soil pH 6.5 to 8.1. His phosphorus levels 11 all the way up to 54. His sulfur was only 4 to 16, but he put he's been putting all kinds of calcium and sulfur out there. So that part, uh, he's got the sulfur basically solved is what I'm trying to say. Uh, his iron levels were 12 all the way to 94. So there are some spots with low iron. Uh, copper is basically all low. Boron's all low. His potassium's 1.8% up to 4.3%. Magnesium 11% to 24, and calcium 64 to 87. So, first of all, let me just say this: with your overall program, I'm slightly concerned. If we're running gypsum on everything, you've got as high as 87% calcium. You don't need any more calcium in that 87%. There's no possible way. For me, if it's my farm, I'd be putting more calcium on that high A calcium soil. That's not helping you. That's only going to tie up more nutrients. So I would not advise that you do that. In terms of copper and boron and iron, in spots, you're really low. And so in spots, it's absolutely going to pay. And this could be part of the reason why when you start talking the mile-long rounds thing, if you're just doing a blanket application across that entire mile, there should be areas where you're going to gain, but other areas where you're not going to gain as much. So that could be a part of it. With the tissue test, you've got one spot, uh, three different times I saw in the corn and it was a little bit more than that in the beans but not much what we do is we go out every single week and and we pull tissue samples now what you're doing is certainly not bad that's a whole lot better than pulling one sample per year but sometimes the tissue samples don't tell the whole story you got to look at all right do I see visual differences do I see root differences and ultimately all that matters is yield so I'm glad you're trying different things this year because what you've done the last two years apparently hasn't been it. But our objective all the time on the farm is to try to figure out what's the yield limiting factor and then pump more money into that to give us a good return on investment and not spend our money on the things that aren't providing a good return on investment. So that's why we use soil tests and tissue tests to try to figure out where most likely should our dollars go and we'll get a return. So when I look at what you've got here, there are spots where you absolutely need potassium, boron, copper, iron, uh, everything needed sulfur. But I, I mean, that's a, an ongoing thing. Every year you're going to need sulfur. But even phosphorus, you got some spots where on your Olsen test, you're only at 11 parts per million. Now, some people will say that's not terrible. You're getting 225 bushel corn. Uh, 11 isn't going to cut it. So make sure you don't short yourself on phosphorus with what you've applied, just literally what you told me here, and I'm not going to go all through that. You don't have enough in those areas where you're at 11. So I would look personally more at that kind of thing and more at variable ratings and fertilizer rather than being super focused on, on the uh, starter kind of program. I'm personally a lot bigger believer into a build program when I'm already at 225 on corn. Stick your dollars into the areas in the field that really need it with the nutrients that are needed, and then chances are you're going to get a better overall response. All right, thanks for the question. Got a couple rapid-fire ones for you, Brian. Uh, one comes from BG. Worried my sweet corn is tasseling too early. Never had that happen before. Is this a concern? No. It, it Corn and sweet corn uh, specifically here we're talking about it is going to mature based on heat so the more heat we have the sooner it's going to tassel the sooner it's going to reach maturity okay lee had one for you you said we're raising alfalfa under pivot should i spray on my foliar micronutrients or can yes. i put them on with my pivot 
Oh, sorry. I, I thought we were talking going through the through the pivot spray through the. Okay, so if you've got a pivot, then personally, if it's me, there's no way I'm putting nutrients on with a machine unless I'm going to variable rate it. If you're going to variable rate it, then I get it. You aren't able to do that with that pivot. So, um, I personally, I'm going to run as much stuff through that pivot as I can, including insecticide if I need it. Okay. Uh, I get this one from Derek. He said, we got some hail and have to replant some soybeans, and we're in 36-inch rows. I'm just wondering what you think in replant situations. I've had conflicting uh, <laughs> conflicting advice. My agronomist says plant a long-season bean to maximize no. foliage and leaves. No. My seed dealer tells me a short season yes. to get to maturity sooner. Yes. I'm planning on just shifting over 5 to 8 inches from my rows, Planting 120 to 140 thousand, go about a half inch deep with my seed, and I've got about 100 acres I got to do. Okay, I like being an inch deep, uh, inch to an inch and a half. That's what we're always going to tell you on beans. Is a half inch terrible? No, but you can usually get a better stand when you're at an inch deep. Uh, 36 inch rows. I don't love for replants. We you don't have a lot of time, and you want to get those rows canopied. So personally, if it was me, I would at least try some strips where. I would split it. So I'd do some at 36 with half your seed and then fill in at 18 with half your seed. Just try a couple strips and see if you get more yield. But yeah, you absolutely want a shorter season bean because you've got to get those beans finished. You do not want green beans in the fall. Speaking from firsthand experience, I've had it, don't want it. Shorten up your maturity. All right, so back to the phone lines. Got Josh up in Oregon with us. Josh, how are you doing? Good. Uh, quick question for you uh, on uh, crop removal. Um, Going into, I guess, the spring, we're having decent moisture, then March hits, and now it's, I, we got no moisture. And so, if the stalks are, this is wheat, if the wheat silver is, you know, look like 70 bushel silver, but it's only producing, you know, the heads are 40 to 50, is that crop removal just, I mean, how do you figure I guess that out when how much <laughs> removed. Yep. Uh, so we we still I would say believe what the nutrient removal charts are. Uh, so if you look at like the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, it'll tell you based on your yield and what you should be, what it should take to produce that grain and what it should take to produce that stover. So in terms of removing some stover, and I assume that's where your question is coming from, it, whenever we're taking stover off a field to really know what's leaving the field with the stover, then you'd have to test the stover because it can vary just tremendously. Uh, if you get late season rains, for example, then nutrients like potassium can flush out of your stover and they'll be in the ground rather than in your stover. In terms of the grain and what's removed with the grain, that number is pretty true all the time. Just look at the nutrient removal app. Did you have a further question on that or sure. I mean, did that cover it? Uh, basically, so if whatever, I mean, uh, whatever the grain took off, that's yep. what the grain took off and yep. everything else would have stayed if... Uh, yep, if all you I took mean, off was it, the grain. The, yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So the drought doesn't really make a difference. Uh, no. Other other than we, we feel your pain on drought, it does make a difference for all of us, unfortunately, well, on our yields. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> nope. Doesn't make a yeah. difference on uh, on nutrients removed. That's always based on bushels. Hey, Josh, thanks for the question. We got to run, okay. but uh, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our program today. Thanks to everybody who called in as well. Be sure to join us again each weekday 
for more Ag PhD Radio.